0: Hi and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today for episode three hundred and six, my guest is Guy Swan of the Bitcoin Audible Podcast, and we're talking about what makes Bitcoin a breakthrough. This is a great episode for newbies and people who are into crypto. So if you are a regular listener, make sure you pass this episode on to your new coiner friends because we're going to be talking about a lot of the common questions that people have when they are new to crypto and they think that shitcoins will pump harder than Bitcoin. As well as comparison of Bitcoin and shitcoins, we, ch- we chat about various concepts around the problems with utility tokens, uh, decentralization, the shitcoin waterfall, and various other ideas. I'm sure you will enjoy this show. Now, this show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, and I am now working at Swan Bitcoin also. So make sure you send your friends and family to swanbitcoin.com so they can accumulate Bitcoin with automatic recurring buys and instant buys. If you are a high net worth individual or a corporate entity looking to stack larger amounts of Bitcoin, check out swanprivate.com. With swanprivate.com, you get a dedicated Bitcoin account expert who is available for one-on-one calls. You'll get a little bit more hand-holding and guided assistance alongside that swan flair and educational and community focus. And also, there's a special monthly report called Swan Private Insight. So go to swanprivate.com and sign up there. Lend at Hoddle Hoddle is a peer to peer Bitcoin backed lending platform where you can borrow or lend out stablecoins globally and anonymously using Bitcoin as collateral. So, with Lend at Hoddle you no longer need to sell your Bitcoin to get some short term liquidity. Just borrow stablecoins against your Bitcoin and control your collateral in escrow throughout the whole deal. While stablecoin owners can earn some extra interest by lending their stablecoins out and defining the terms and the APR for their deals. Hoddle's lending platform is currently going through a major upgrade with many improvements to be available by the end of the month. Sign up to lend.hoddlehoddle.com with a promo code September to get a 50% discount on the platform's origination fee once the lending functionality is available again. Are you interested in Bitcoin mining? CompassMining.io are making it easy for everyone to mine Bitcoin. And Compass have now launched a whole new product line. It's Home Mining. You can now order miners to your home in the US. And they've even launched a Compass at Home mining guide, which you can find over on the website at CompassMining.io. So with Compass, you can select your mining hardware. And if you don't want to mine at home, well, you can have that mined at a facility that has been vetted by the Compass Mining team. And so you can set it up at that facility and also select your mining pool. And then from that point, you're just paying the hosting fees and you are receiving SATs. So this is a great opportunity for people to get involved if they don't have access to industrial power rates or potentially to the mining hardware units. So go to compassmining.io and sign up. On to the show with Guy. Guy, it's a pleasure to finally get you on the show.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Absolutely. It's great to be here. It's been, it's yes, been it's a while to... since we've had our uh, a long Austrian debate at the bar. <laughs> uh, <what> was that <laughs> like right. two so years was, ago, yeah. three years ago?
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, for listeners, uh, Guy and I, we were hanging out as well at uh, kind of in and around the events of Bitblock Boom as well. So that was awesome. Great chance to meet some Bitcoiners in person and, you know. Get a chance to hang out i mean the last time we were we caught up in person it would have been around bitcoin 2019 right uh so yeah look i was, yeah, been I was keen to you get day. you on yeah and I, I was keen to get you on and chat about because i'm getting these beginner level questions a lot and i think it's time to do you know an episode on those. so we're getting all these questions around new coiners who are coming in and they either have a question or they come or they might have an argument where they're like hey man what do you think about Sha coin this or this other coin and I think we're going to try to talk through a little bit around how maybe you and I would talk about it how we would guide a new coiner into this space and maybe just to outline some of the difference in the thinking uh, of the typical hardcore -er, Bitcoiner, as opposed to the person who's more of a, let's say, more of a crypto person. So I don't know, maybe if there's any high level thoughts that you have, how would you sort of, if if somebody like the typical question that you might get, right, it might be like, oh, hey, guy, uh, what do you think about, you know, ETH or ADA or Solana or something, right? That might be a typical question. So how would you normally respond to them?
1: So basically my my introduction to those ideas is just I try to hit like kind of a high level analogy I, I would basically say is that when communication protocols like like the idea of a communication medium necessitates convergence. That's the only reason it can be used as a communication medium is if you're using the same one to communicate. And a lot of people mistake that into saying, oh, we need a monopoly. A monopoly is not everyone converges on the same thing. A monopoly is everyone has no choice but to use the same thing because of some artificial mechanism like street lights and stop signs don't have a monopoly on intersections. It's just the it's the common communication medium we need to make sure that we don't sl- Slam into the sides of each other, crossing an intersection at eighty miles an hour, and so because of that, all communication mediums tend toward one. And we're talking when you're talking about a communication of value, the the pressures, the economic and incentive pressures to converge are. V- Crazy, crazy strong. They're way stronger than something like a language or a social network. Because even though those are strong, I mean, look at look at the social networks. You got like two, three, you know, major ones that really matter. Search engines, you got basically two languages. You know, you have one or two major like dominant languages, but they work because you're on the same one. You know, you're on Twitter because all the Bitcoin and crypto people are on Twitter. But the convergence around money is even stronger because. Because you can't hold value in two things at the same time. Like that that one unit of value is explicitly a choice to hold A or B because value is necessarily scarce. You can talk, you can speak two languages, you can be on all the social media platforms, you can go on Hootsuite and you can post all of them at once. Like there's no ex- exclusivity factor of a normal communication mechanism. But there explicitly must be in something of value. So as something becomes the dominant means of communicating and holding value, the trade-off of holding anything less than the dominant gets greater and greater and greater over time and money in itself is just a mechanism to create that convergence to make that communication the vow val- what's the point of having a whole bunch of monies what's the point of bartering tokens when the whole point of having the token in the first place was to get around barter you know like you you've unsolved your problem by having multiple monies the very problem that money solves. so when you look at this on the long term And it will take a long time for this to play out. Money is a huge trend in society. You know, this isn't something that unravels in six months like we're trying to pick which app to use. Money is a massive shift in how we communicate, how we store and how we think of risk and reward and trust in an economy. It's incredibly foundational. These are 50 year, 100 year trends. So look at the long game, play out all those incentives, play out all those, the economic is essentially necessity to converge. And at the end of the day, I think what we're asking is, are we going to live in a world where we want to pick one of our five favorite internets to log into, or is there going yeah. to be the internet? Yeah. And I think where we are today is a perfect example of like, we don't pick which internet we want to use. We it, TCPIP is the foundation of global uh, communication is centrally without borders. We now have that for money. Are we going to have a whole bunch of them? I really don't think so.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, and to add to what you were saying, I totally agree with what you're saying there, Guy. And to add to what you're saying, uh, I believe Mises, and I think it was in Theory of Money and Credit, there's a a specific saying, you can search it as well. It's something like there would be a tendency for people to go towards the most saleable. Uh, And I think the way he he Mm -hmm. explains it there is that You know, things would be one by one rejected until you've reached the most saleable. And so that's also, in a sense, a a maximalist argument, if you will, from a monetary point of view. Now, I guess the part where people who are new to this world might get confused or maybe and maybe some of this is just legitimate difference of opinion. There might be people who are like, "Okay, fine, I get this whole idea of Bitcoin as money, but all these other some of these other coins or whatever, they're not trying to be money. And so how would you rejoin to there? Do you have a counter argument or do you just sort of say it like, well, you know, that's just not trying to be money. It's just a different thing.
1: So typically those other things, not trying to be money, are falling into a trap of having to be money to to actually maintain the security and the consensus of their protocol, but then pretend that that's not what they are when basically marketing, I guess, or in having to bootstrap that value another way, like some sort of like a yield or, you know, just speculative value in general. So I think you kind of have to go back to what is the innovation of Bitcoin? What makes Bitcoin an absolute breakthrough? Bitcoin is a revolutionary technology because of the proof of work digital consensus system like because of a we created satoshi created a way to use proof of work as a mechanism to create an economic incentive structure so that there are no masters in a network of money but the security and incentives of that system rely on the value of the money and the value of the money reinforces the security and incentive of the system if it isn't money it necessitate that the security must come from without, from outside of the network. And that the incentive must be able to be proven and issued within the network, which means it must be money. It's the only value that it can have is a monetary value because that's the money. I mean, that's the value that a thing has that isn't specifically some sort of physical utility. It's like when gold goes up, you know, when gold is a $7 trillion, $8 trillion market, it's not because you can use it in jewelry and electronic. 95% of that value is because it's got a monetary premium. And it's got the monetary properties to actually hold that premium so that people don't just produce a crap ton more of it until the premium goes away, which would happen with cotton, with, you know, salt, with houses, with whatever it is. All the other goods don't manage to survive a monetary premium. The ones that are good money do. And so Bitcoin is exclusively 100% digital, pure monetary premium. It doesn't do shit out and that's expressly a beautiful and amazing thing and That is exactly what keeps that game theory alive. What keeps the incentive structure working and makes it secure. So what like a bunch of these DeFi and like crypto tokens are doing is they're actually trying to fake the monetary assurances by giving a reason. If it's a utility token, why is there any reason to hold it outside of the specific utility you want to use it? So uh, Alan Farrington's most recent piece, actually, which is in the in the in the works right now uh, uh, on the recording desk, if you will. Uh, these are great analogy is that it's like casino chip is that you're trying to create a really popular casino and you're trying to create a huge flow of people running in and buying casino chips. But why would you hold those casino chips outside of when you want to use the casino? And that's why what has happened in the fallout from the ICO bubble and the all the, you know, the new token hype and then the ICO hype and the every every new hype cycle in the in the crypto ecosystem why we've moved to DeFi and quote unquote yield farming. Because it's a way to make people hold those casino chips for as long as possible. Essentially to get the new ICOs which are now being paid out as interest rates and yield in their platforms, like like it's just a slow ICO essentially, or a really slow airdrop it forces them to lock up the token which pushes up, its artificially pushes up its value so that you can get the next token. It's like this huge circular token machine where you're locking up token A to get token B, which you you can then collateralize for token C, which gives you stablecoin D, which you can then learn turn back around to lock up for token A, so that you can start the whole circle all over again. It's rehypothecation and arbitrage, uh, leverage. Excuse me, rehypothecation and leverage all, all the way around, and it only keeps working if there's another flow of a new crypto token and a new crypto lending, trading, borrowing platform with a with a new thing to get yield, which is just printed out of nowhere. It's just it it only survives because there's this constant stream of new things keeping it alive. Um, That's a really long answer to that question. But (laughs) that's kind of what that's kind of how I see so much of what's going on in that ecosystem right now.
0: Yeah. So maybe let me try to, obviously that that was a long answer, but let me try to summarize a little bit. So firstly, we were talking about the economic and monetary arguments of convergence towards the most saleable aspect, right? But then it's not just a monetary and economic aspect, as you were rightly pointing out, it's also the security. And it's sort of like a meshing of these arguments that there's a monetary component to this. But then to also understand the breakthrough of Bitcoin is is to understand that people need a reason to hold the coin. And generally speaking, you don't need a quote unquote reason to hold money right as austrians we understand and as hopper would explain from you know the yield, the was it the yield to hold money reconsidered the demand for money is actually because we face uncertainty in this earth and I don't know if i might break my arm tomorrow and i need to go to the hospital and that's why i maintain a cash balance and that cash balance helps me deal with the uncertainty of the world by being able to pay for hospital bills or whatever may come my way and so that is why and how we believe bitcoin answers this question of why would you hold it well because you don't need a reason to hold money but in the case of these DeFi random coins they're it's artificial they're trying to create a reason to hold them but they're not money. They're not trying. And it depends if they're, if they're if they're making the argument of oh okay fine we're not we're not trying to be money. Well now you're in the utility token trap basically. And a utility token simply will not sustain value for the long term. And I think that's probably the argument there, right, around utility tokens. So how would you explain that around utility tokens?
1: Well, actually, I wanted to add to uh, what you were just saying, because I I think you brought up a really good point, is just on the nature of money, like money is essentially defined, what eventually becomes money is the most saleable good in the market, like that's how it emerges, which kind of from the, the basis of the idea suggests there's going to be one, because... The thing that is money is the most saleable. But the yield, you brought up the yield uh, from money held or or whatever it was, um, a reconsidered. Who was that by again? I already forgot.
0: So it was actually by, I think it was a speech by Hopper, but it was actually considering, uh, I believe, this guy named Hutt. I can't remember exactly. Uh, he was essentially explaining, but there's an article and I can put that in the show notes for listeners out there, but essentially yeah, it's on the, he was it's just on explaining the show.
1: Why. I, I read it. I got an audio version on the show. I think it's like 300 oh, yeah. episodes. Well, or I'll, 400 I'll episodes like that. For that also.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But uh, a great piece. Great piece. I love that one. Um, but it's on the idea that the reason the most saleable good has utility is because it's a hedge against uncertainty like like you said is that the reason you hold money is because it's the one thing that you can get everything else for so what we're doing essentially in bitcoin is recognizing the monetary properties as being superior and the the economic security the the lack of uncertainty in the bitcoin system being profoundly less than all alternatives and speculating on the fact that in the future, this is going to be the most saleable good, that this is going to be the money. And we are even using it as our money in a local community, in a, a subset of the community today. You know, like 1% or 2% of the whole world is hedged or t- uh, touching Bitcoin in some way these days. And uh, so so I think that's important to to recognize just the, the concept. That money is specifically a hedge against uncertainty. It is about security in and on its face, in in your ability to store value, to keep value when other things may rot, when other things may, maybe you don't own them in the future because of your jurisdiction. You don't know what the price is going to do to these things. You don't know whether cotton's going to have a good season or a bad season, et cetera, et cetera money is the one thing that ho- that holds the least uncertainty of all other places to keep value so a utility token a, a bunch of just crypto things that are that are going to be hyped on the next token coming into the uh, into the platform or into the ecosystem if the only reason you're holding it is to get yield from the next token you it's the opposite of uncertainty in fact i, I think that's why uh, that's why a lot of people are in the space is because of all the volatility is because of all the the lack of liquidity because of the huge price surges it's a it's a speculative circle is that we're betting that the next new token is going to have the same run up that the last 100 tokens have and so i'm going to stake my previous token to get the yield on the new token while it's being issued because that's how, that's how all these like lending platforms and things, they bootstrap liquidity is that they offer a new token. They just print token. And so that's what everybody rushes in to get the reward. It bootstraps a whole bunch of liquidity and now they're using it as a platform to, to, stake token a gets token b to do that on the next one to get the governance token and i mean it just it's such a huge circular mess and it's all chasing the utility of arbitrage like like you could argue that arbitrage is a real utility right like if i wanted to steal man okay crypto is actually just arbitraging between all of these different things and it's producing yield quote unquote is producing interest but there's no productive asset here there's no business it's actually built, like making like yield yield from a security or a financial instrument or whatever is because somebody produced, you know, it's somebody spent one hundred dollars to produce a piece of electronic software, like piece of software or hardware or something like that, and then sold it for one hundred fifty. Your yield is your profit. It's fifty dollars. So you're sharing that as part owner in this productive enterprise. They're turning one hundred dollars of value and in, into one hundred and fifty. That's not happening in any of these platforms, what they're doing is it's just, quote unquote, speculative yield. But what are they speculating on? Various yields. There it's a yield that is arbitraging yield. <laughs> and, and and as soon as you is, all you have to do is chase it back to the next token, to the next token, to the next yield. And what you get is token printing, You're just printing tokens for the next new platform or, or the next thing. And like, it's like 99% of the whole thing is leveraged circular yield arbitrage. <laughs> yeah, um, it's yeah. just, it's crazy. I mean, there's tons of gambling money to be made. Like, don't get me wrong. I-, I guess, arguably, in some sense, that's that's a value. I mean, people play fantasy football and casino. Yeah,
0: or they go to the casino, to the real casino and gamble, right? Um, yeah, but, but I mean, I think also, while we're, while we're on this point, I think it's also an important point just for people, if you are new, it's important that you understand there is an industry of people who are here to try to fleece you. And now, in the past, people like Melton Demiris have coined the term the shitcoin waterfall. And the shitcoin waterfall is like this, essentially this process where insiders kind of create a token, pump it up, and sort of dump on retail. And they sort of give this perception that there's like a real market here, that crypto is a real thing. And I guess how would you explain this shitcoin waterfall dynamic for somebody who is new to this world, uh, so that they don't get scammed?
1: Yeah, that's the. This is the most nefarious part of all of it. So I guess probably. What we've explained up to this point is you could argue is maybe like a good faith attempt at trying to find something that a token would be valuable for, right? Is that we're trying to build these systems. We're trying to build financial instruments and what. But I think the overwhelming majority of it is trying to figure out a new way to issue your own money, to to print a token out of thin air that you can sell to someone. I mean this is where all of this started from. You know, Bitcoin is open source code and when everybody comes in deeply ignorant of what the real innovation of Bitcoin is, which is a form of decentralized secure consensus which necessitates when you think about using that as a totem for value, consensus makes only makes sense if you're on the same consensus. You know, like so again that deep convergence toward one, but if Nobody really gets that. And this is going to take a very, very long time to play out. I can copy and paste Bitcoin. I can copy and paste it. I can change one tiny little. I, I can make the block size half as long. I mean, the uh, block time half as long and call it Litecoin <laughs> and sell it. And not, now I'm the only one. I can pre mine it. I can pre mine hundreds of thousands of tokens on my computer. Um, I mean, imagine, imagine the. Even if you're trying to be honest, even if you're trying to be, le- you're legitimately trying to find a use for this technology, imagine the overwhelming pull to be able to bring up a Google spreadsheet, punch in 100,000 units, and then be able to go to an exchange and sell those units for a dollar a piece or a SAT a piece. What would be the pull of being able to do that? That is what the vast majority of crypto is. I can. There was a website. There was a literal website. Um, I, it probably is still out there. I don't even know. I'd have to dig into my Bitcoin links. But literally, it was just it, it was a token generator. Like you could just. It had a whole set of. I did yeah. it once. I had it was I, like a full a coin, coin
0: generator, or something like that. I can't remember what yeah, it's called.
1: Yeah, it's a fork generator, and you could like punch <laughs> in like a whole bunch of different parameters of what your block size is what your block time is where what proof of work thingy you want to use and like all this stuff and then you just print out at the end and it, it just gives you a client that you can run and now you've got your own unique token now imagine i can just go to fiverr yeah. and pay 200 for a really clean fancy looking website with all the blockchain graphics and all this stuff and then brag about how it's got 5X the the transaction capacity. Um, it's more secure because it's got two different proof of work algorithms instead of just the one. I mean, imagine how simple the marketing hype would be. And how would you know that I just got it from the website? And what does that $200, $300 investment get me? It might be $100 million. Literally, in some cases, things that were straight up essentially copies and tweaks in that that could have completely existed on that website made hundreds of millions of dollars. How hard would you work to try to get some marketing hype or something that you could just say was just enough different or had this fancy utility? And I hired real blockchain devs and I did something really cool in this smart contract so that you could get the incredible amount of tokens that you got for free that you can now sell to everybody who's all excited about your new platform and your new blockchain and all that crap there is so much
0: of course yeah and then to add to that there's this whole ecosystem around perpetuating that kind these kinds of scams and so there would be these kind of at the top, the elite shitcoiners or the insider shitcoiners who make the coin and then they might go out and get people to promote that coin. And so there's this whole industry of YouTube and they all say, Oh, do your own research. And like, really, they're like, it's like a paid interview. And basically, they're just like shilling some random coin and pretending to help guide people into crypto. Right. And there's like, there's like some fund managers who are involved and they getting inside on the friends and family level deal where they get some coins. And, you know, and in the 2017 run, it was kind of you're getting in on the ICOs at a cheaper price uh, to then dump on retail at later at a later date. And then to some extent, that kind of thing happens even in the shitcoin DeFi world, right? And so there's this whole industry around it. And so I think a lot of people have created in their mind this idea that, oh, see, you just got to like review the white paper and you got to, you know, this is what it means to be a crypto person or whatever. There's this weird perception of that, right? Because these are not people who have gone and read uh, economics and thought, okay, what what makes a good money? Why is Bitcoin going to be the best money and things like that. So there's this whole industry and mindset that I think is very opaque to someone who's new. And they're just, they're just seeing it like, oh, I'm just, buying some random cryptos on youtube because i saw the guy on youtube told me and i did my research right guy
1: yeah yeah and and one of the big things is people don't realize just how staggering the amount of money being pushed around to to promote these sorts of things i mean if you talk to people who have been in crypto uh like the shitcoin insider uh my co-host on uh shitcoin insider has been working in The crypto and DeFi for a long time, and he even says even some of the stuff that like like he's kind of embarrassed having done in the past. He talks about just the massive amounts of money, like the to get paid for almost nothing just to market, just to go into a Telegram group and start shilling it, and just like no, you guys, you don't you y'all don't even know. Have y'all not heard about Crapcoin thirteen? Like, oh, Crapcoin thirteen is the bee's knees. Is it is absolutely revolutionary and like just whole like armies of these people going on to social media and telegram and getting paid good money to do this. And then you have all these ICO trackers and journalistic websites. There's a, there's a great piece I read on Bitcoin audible actually that, uh what was it called? It's like I worked in crypto for two years and this is what I learned or something like that. Um, It's by Matt, Oh, God, it's like Matt Vanali or something like that. I, I can't remember. I'll, I'll see if I can get you the link or whatever, uh, but it's a really great piece. And he just talks yeah, sure. about yeah. basically the mess, like how he was kind of bought into it for a really long time. But then he just started to see how dirty all the tactics and all the the marketing and everything was. But you'll get uh like these crypto journalists or whatever. You'll regularly get these like, oh, these are the top 10 top 10 crypto to look at right now and then you'll get all the big names right ethereum uh, solana cardano whatever whatever is the the big thing happening right now on crypto twitter but somewhere right in the middle for no for no reason whatsoever like number 7 it'll be some dog shit token that nobody's ever heard about like Zencoin. And it's like number 583 on CoinMarketCap or something. That whole article is paid for by Zencoin. That's the the whole reason that exists is because Zencoin just printed themselves a shit ton of tokens and they offered up a hundred thousand of them or they sold a hundred thousand of them on some garbage exchange for ETH, paid them thirty thousand dollars to put that article up. And everybody's gonna read that and it's like, yeah, yeah, all these coins, I have all these Zencoin. What's Zincoin? Oh my God! I gotta get Zincoin. It's just above Solana, and and this this huge cycle. It, it's an absolute mess of conflict of interest and just people paying. Like when, when you can turn three hundred dollars, fancy website and blockchain graphics into millions and millions of dollars. How hard is it to split that ten percent with the guy who's doing your your journalists? Uh, like that's that's how all of them survive. None of them, none of the big yes. ones, don't yes. do that because that's the way they get big. They have to, like, it's where all of the money is in quote unquote, crypto journalism is a mess.
0: Yeah, it's a shame. And it's like this whole industry of people kind of supporting each other in awkward or weird ways, right? Or uh, the rumors around exchange listing, uh, that the idea of, you know, people might create a shit coin, as you said, and then pay a bit of money to try to get listed on an exchange because they're hoping that brings in some liquidity uh, retail liquidity, uh, meaning they want to be able to dump on people and then people don't understand that there's actually not as much liquidity as it seems. So then they think, oh, I'll buy it cheap and I'll be able to sell it, you know but the reality is that the liquidity is simply not there at the time that you're trying to dump, like theoretically if you're going to be this whole shitcoin mm-hmm. gambler right? And I think, let's, let's bring it back to, I think, what would a typical new person to this world be thinking and they might be thinking, oh, altcoins have better gains, right? They might be thinking, okay, Bitcoin, it's already gone up so much. It just doesn't have that much upside. Let me gamble on some shitcoins. And then that will then allow me to then tra- trade back into Bitcoin, right? And of course, you and I, we've all heard this argument many, many times over the years. But how would you explain that for somebody who's new? Because in their mind, that might, you know, know—if if they're not as well studied in this world, they could easily think that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the reason altcoins have better gains is in the short term um, is because they're illiquid is because nobody nobody owns them is because they're not used for anything. You know, if you've got a hundred thousand dollars in volume for a day and somebody invests ten thousand dollars, you make a massive move in the price. The market liquidity is eight billion dollars at eight eight billion dollars a day and you put in $10,000 and then move it all. You you barely you barely soak up a single market order. You know, maybe you move it a penny for a second and then it goes back down 10 or whatever. Like it just you you're inconsequential in the realm of the greater market. Of course, shit coins are going to move faster. That's that is the nature of liquidity. If there are a few market orders and you put X dollars in, it's going to eat up more market orders than one that has a lot of market orders.
0: Right. And as you were saying, Guy, the point about how shitcoins can pump harder than Bitcoin, but it's important to note a lot of them won't. And if you know a gambler or if you are a gambler out there, oftentimes if you speak to them, they'll always tell you about their big wins. They won't necessarily tell you about all those times they did it and kind of lost money or went break even on it. And so what happens in practice is that people might, quote unquote, diversify into a basket of shitcoins and then think, That just because one or two coins might have pumped well that they're a genius trader now and unless really like you're saying with the shitcoin insider aspect unless you're an elite tier shitcoin insider you are mostly losing money you are generally losing money on average especially once you consider the tax impact of trading around once you consider the liquidity aspect of trying to trade around and i've written an article about this about why you shouldn't be playing shitcoin gambling games but hypothetically because what here's what people do right they think oh What's the next Bitcoin or what's the next Doge or, uh, you know, what is the next Sol or Ada, right? Because these coins have pumped a lot recently. But here's the other aspect to consider is what's your denominator, right? Because people like you and me and others, we are denominating in sats. What is important to us is how many at the end of the day, we're playing this game of musical chairs. And in 10 years, 15 years time, who knows, the music is going to stop and it'll matter how many, you know, if you hold, you want to hold the chair, right? Uh Despite uh, our friend Pierre-Richard, right? But uh, of course, the point being, if you measure, (laughs) yeah, Um, but the point being, we have to measure things in sat terms. And so as an example, Ethereum, the all-time high in sat terms back in 2017 was around 15 million sats for one ETH. Um, And back uh, a a couple of stats, as an example, people might point to say, okay, as an example, so right now, it's around 330,000 Sats, but that came up a lot off the start of the year when it was around 7,000 Sats. And so people are looking at these and thinking, oh, look, see, if I just manage to write this one up, then maybe I can flip it to Bitcoin. But the reality is you're just cherry picking the ones that did pump really hard and not understanding that there could be a lot of coins that just go nowhere or just go down. Back to the show in a moment. Get a cold card over at CoinKite.com. The cold card is my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet, and this is a great choice for you if you have left your coins on the exchange and you're now starting to learn about self-custody. The cold card offers a range of features. My favorite is that it is air-gapped. You can use a micro SD card and you literally never have to touch your cold card wallet to the computer. You actually use a micro SD card to move that back and forward and use it with wallets like Electrum or Sparrow or Spectre Desktop, for example. And the cold card has a range of other features like PSBT support as well as an address explorer so you can check your receive address. Go to Coinkite.com and use the code LAVERA to get a discount on yours. Have you considered Bitcoin backups? CypherSafe.io are creating metal backup seed products. So right now they've got a new product coming. It's called the Cypher Grid. It's the best value in the industry. You get everything you need for $59. It's two stainless steel plates for all 24 seed words. The product is designed to be fireproof, rustproof, and waterproof. You also can lock it with a padlock. You get a tamper evidence seal provided and also an automatic center punch provided so you can stamp in your words. So make sure you or your loved ones can access your coins if something happened to you. Go to cyphersafe.io and use the code lavera to get a discount on yours. So as number goes up, have you thought about your security and removing single points of failure? With Unchained Capital, you can create a multi-signature vault and do just that. So there's this urgency, you don't want to just leave your coins on an exchange and even with single signature hardware wallets, you are still vulnerable to failure in that wallet. So with a multi-signature setup, you hold two keys and Unchained holds the third. They've also got a concierge package, which helps people who have never even held their keys before get set up. You'll have two hardware wallets shipped to you and you'll get a call to teach you how to set up your Bitcoin vault. And so from then on, you can actually feel a lot more comfortable because you have your keys distributed into multiple locations. So go to unchained.com and check out the details there. Use the code Levera to get a discount on your concierge package. And now back to the show.
1: Vast majority of them go down and the longer the longer the time span on any of them, they're increasingly just down in con- in the measured in Bitcoin. And you're also you also end up in a situation where you're just chasing green candles. There's 10,000 of these things. So sure, Solana went up 5000 percent or some stupid shit. But guess when you're going to notice it after it goes up 5000 percent, everybody else is, too, which means they're going to be running and chasing those green candles. And that's exactly the liquidity of the guys who did the pre-mine and the guys who've been orchestrating a Telegram pump and dump in their private groups and paying for the journalists to stick Solana in their top 10 most interesting cryptos right now and uh, paying for social media bots to remind everybody. It's like, yeah, these are cool. I like this. But have you talked about Solana? Like who've been laying the framework for... Six months for this pump, you're the liquidity. You're their liquidity to get the hell out of it. There, you're as soon as those green candles look good enough to make you go, I can't believe I missed this, is when they put in red candles. That is the reason they need you, is so they can exit. And and this, you see this all the time. If it can go up in green candles a whole lot very, very fast. It's going to come down just as fast and you are going to be absolutely miserable. You're going to have your ass handed to you over and over and over again. I promise you every Bitcoiner who tells you this knows it personally. I know it personally. It is a nightmare. It is not fun. It does not come with nothing but gains. You will feel good when you get your big green dildo and you're like, yes, yes, I finally did it. And you will tell everybody about it. But it will be after you already had five big red ones and you're, you're too embarrassed. You're just finally feel like you're making some of it back. It's a job. It is a full time miserable, stressful job. There are nights where you cannot go to sleep, where you wake up at three o'clock in the morning because you're like, "Oh God, oh God, what is the price doing?" You have a dream that it went down fifty percent in ZenCoin crap token thirteen, and it's it just you do not want to be there. If if you want to do that, if you want to day trade, if you want to watch minute long candles and stress day in and day out. At a job that is a full time job, where sometimes you make money, most of the time you lose money, go to town. But if Bitcoin's gains aren't good enough for you, I don't have to. I don't. All that stress is out of my life. I don't do any of that, and I still make what hundred percent, two hundred percent a year. Bitcoin is nowhere near done. Not even close. Bitcoin is just getting started. If two hundred percent a year gains are not good enough for you, I I, I don't. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You're okay. Good luck. Good luck. You want to get 200% in a week? Lose it all next week? Okay. Some people, that's that's it for some people. But I live stress-free. I get other shit done. You know? I record stuff. I make a podcast. I start a family. I ain't I ain't staying up at 3 o'clock in the night worried about whether the price is going up or down in the next hour. Now nah, fuck that. That sounds awful. I, no. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love that point got, you're making there that listeners if you are trying to play that game, you are their liquidity, that you are the one they're dumping on. There's a good chance that you are in that position. And here's the other aspect as well. You have to consider longevity, right? Because it's easy, you know, it's well, not easy, but it's relatively easier for a coin to have a good performance in a over a one-year time period or a two-year time period. But here's an example for, or even an exercise for the listeners out there. Look and use the Wayback Machine or the Wayback Archive or one of those things and look at the top five shitcoins of 2016 or the top 10 from then and compare what is the top 10 now? How many are the same? And which coin stayed number one all of that time, right? I think that's an important exercise for people out there, wouldn't you say, Guy?
1: 100%, because you get... um What's it called? Survivor bias. Survivor bias is you you look at what and it's kind of the same. It's similar bias to you know looking at ten thousand coins that are plummeting or doing nothing interesting at all and seeing the two that just shot up with green candles. You know if you're just looking through, if you're just scrolling through Coin Market Cap looking for the one that's really freaking green while everything else is red, it's like guess what? You're gonna find one. (laughs) You're always gonna find one. But if you look at anything that has any amount of longevity where you can invest in it and go to sleep at night and be okay with like you know, actually get some restful sleep, that list is almost non-existent. like like it's it's basically Bitcoin. And if everything is traded against Bitcoin, if you're worried about how much Bitcoin you have, it's basically nothing. <laughs> it's nothing. you're you're gonna I, it's just gonna be pain. In my opinion. And I think when you look at the long term and we talk about convergence and which one has the most profound security and settlement assurances, which is the value of this thing to begin with. The reason it is sound digital money is because you own it without anybody else's permission, because you can transfer it without anybody else's permission. There are no masters, there are no dev keys. And it provides an economic incentive, a game theory incentive structure, so that there just will not be masters. It's secure from having a master. when When you look at the most secure, and you put this on a long enough time frame, I just don't. I just don't think these other things. And, and I fully admit, I fully accept that I might be wrong about this. You know, like like I'll I'll let that go. You know, I'm not trying to be an ass, even though I probably sound pretty uh, direct about this. And in the context of, you know, I, I know your mission, I know my mission is about freedom. This is about ending the state monopoly on money. Um, so there are plenty of cases, I guess you could say, to be made for let's just make as many cryptos as possible. And if we accomplish that goal with 10,000 cryptos and i'm totally wrong about the game theory and the incentives around convergence on a single money and that maybe we are just going to barter tokens endlessly and we're going to yield farm and arbitrage between yield farmings okay i don't really care like i like i'm not going to be like butthurt and be like oh you're i'm not going to hate you for for doing that i don't care if we get rid of the state monopoly on money perfect perfect We do it with a bunch of crypto, whatever. Crypto is life. I don't give a shit. Like that is the mission. But uh, the reason I sing the tune that I do is because I think everybody else is going to get clobbered and they are specifically getting rug pulled. They're playing a game of like one rug pull after the other to people who are making enormous amounts of money and exiting and just walking away. They have no longevity. They don't care about the system. They're here for fiat gains or Bitcoin gains. And they don't, they, they will gladly walk away from it because it's not secure. It's highly centralized. Like those lending platforms, they have, like I mentioned, dev keys. You know, if you're talking about security and decentralization, if somebody can go to the developers, if a police officer, an enforcement agency, the IRS, the SEC can go to the developers and tell them that. You're liable for everything that happens on this platform. You are going to be punished unless you shut this down. The question is, can they? Yes. Yes, we've seen it over and over and over again. I don't know of a single one that does not have developer keys, which means they can just go and they can just shut the whole thing off. That's not how is that meaningfully decentralized? What's the point of decentralization if it just costs more and you still just need to call a couple people at AWS to shut the thing down? It's, fa- it's a facade. It's theater. It's theater for the sake of making it look like there's something of value here that is external to the explicit group that holds the keys to the kingdom. And, you know, so maybe, maybe I think there's a very small chance that I'm wrong about this and I fully admit that and if I am cool I I owe some I have a a all corner shit corner friend who I said if you know 10 years from now uh, it still looks like this and you know it's become the dominant form of finance and uh, money I said we're gonna sit down I'm gonna say you absolutely told me so and I owe you a beer cool Uh, maybe that happens I really don't think so and I would never advise anybody to to take that route because I think I think this is just you know regurgitations of the 2017 like ICO bubble. It's just looking for the next hype to because there's always new blood. There's always fresh blood and everybody has to go through the same painstaking mistakes and learning process. And that learning process is profoundly profitable to people who can take advantage of the information asymmetry. People come in Deeply ignorant. Everybody does. I don't mean that as an insult. Everybody is deeply ignorant of money, of what these technologies are, what the value proposition of these things are. They are insanely different. They're just, they're, it's a very novel technology. It looks nothing like there's no easy thing to analogize to. Like The framework for understanding these things is essentially non-existent. You have to build it from scratch. That information asymmetry is gold to the people who are here and know how to sell you bullshit. And there's mountains of it. There's absolute mountains of it. If you want to investigate quote unquote crypto, understand Bitcoin first. Get some Bitcoin, sit on it, learn about it. Figure out how Bitcoin works, why Bitcoin works, what made Bitcoin unique previous to the world where Bitcoin didn't exist. Then look at crypto, then branch out and see what you learn. You'll probably reach the same conclusion I did. I feel like maybe not. Who knows? But you'll at least protect yourself a little bit if you just start with Bitcoin and branch out from there. That's where it was all born. That's where it all started from. That's where you should start, too
0: yeah yeah and it's important to remember that a lot of the coins are laughing about decentralization and so the reality is somebody out there could stop that platform or try to roll it back whereas in bitcoin that really it just doesn't exist right and now look in fairness it, we, we should say there are there's maybe one or two instances in bitcoin's history i think in 20 Ten, there was uh, famously the buffer overflow incident, and so someone made I think like eighty-four billion bitcoins, yeah. something like that. Uh, but I think it's also important to remember, Bitcoin was the first, and it was different then, right? Th- back then, in twenty ten, before there was this whole cottage industry of shitcoin uh, people who were doing it to kind of make new money. Back then, it was it was truly more like a project, right? It was just like it. it the price was far lower. It was just a different beast back then. And the world was a different world.
1: It was also deeply centralized because there's only like 100 people, <laughs> you, you know, like like when it was born, it necessarily is centralized because everybody's running the Satoshi client. Um, it's only decentralized as a maturity process, you know. Um, so sorry sorry to interrupt. But, uh, but yeah, necessarily like everything else benefits from Bitcoin having had that bug before everything else even existed. It was it was an experiment. It didn't even have any value. It was, like, it was worth literally $0. It was just people running shit on a computer and wondering wondering if this thing was going to actually survive. Can we keep running this system? So, yeah, sorry. You keep going.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's, it's important to point out the distinguishing factors there. And it's also important to remember that there are hacks on shitcoin DeFi almost every week. We see some new hack uh, at sometimes in the hundreds of millions of dollars range. And then what happens is because they might end up handing it back or something because they thought, okay, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to exit liquidity out on an exchange because it's all the KYC. So then it kind of points out to you how decentralized are these ecosystems if they, if that's what if that's how they feel about these things, right? How really decentralized are these things? And here's another aspect with a lot of the shit coins, people just treat it like numbers on the screen, right? It's like, oh, I just go to my exchange or broker and I buy it. How many people are actually running a node for this shitcoin? How many people are using a wallet and self-custody for that shitcoin? These are all questions that, as you know, a new person to the space, we have to consider, don't we?
1: Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. You know, like decentralization, like like I just mentioned with Bitcoin, decentralization is something that you earn. Like it's not copy paste. You know, like it's a it's a maturity process. So I, I use an analogy on my show: is that Bitcoin one. Satoshi and Hal Finney were the only ones running it. Was clearly highly, highly centralized. I mean, they could have hard forked in an hour, like to to change something. And and you know, Satoshi just hits Hal up and be like, "Dude, update your client." He's like, "All right," you know, like like, <laughs> like it was it was necessarily centralized. It's like an infant. The code, the protocol itself, is just the DNA. So when you copy paste it, you can say oh, our protocol is just like Bitcoin because we literally copied Bitcoin's code and then we changed parameter A, B, and C. But you didn't copy its decentralization. You didn't copy all of the nodes, the the hundreds of thousands of nodes all around the world. You didn't copy the Lightning Network. You didn't copy the growth and the ecosystem and all of the exchanges and all the relevant interest and the social, the social defense mechanism that and the precedence that had been set over Bitcoin's lifetime, you copied its genetic. So just like you could watch an infant grow into a young man and get strong and, you know, you know, maybe they they've learned a lot of skills and they're able to survive out in the wild on their own. And then they grow up into a lumberjack and your mission is to cut down trees. You're going to get the lumberjack. Somebody else can copy that genetic code and make a new infant in a womb, but that doesn't, and they're going to say, look, I've got a lumberjack, but they don't have a lumberjack. They don't have one. You have to wait for years and years to see that precedent. They still might die as an infant due to some disease or because they didn't pass some test or because some bug entered the system and they decided to fully centralize as opposed to actually take the hard route of undoing the bug of reversing it to keep consensus. You know, that's the beauty of like Bitcoin's quote unquote, uh, rollbacks or whatever it was, is that they didn't break consensus. Almost all the other like Ethereum or whatever, they specifically broke consensus to follow the most powerful, the the leaders interests of the platform. Bitcoin did not do that. Bitcoin actually specifically from the beginning, did everything they could to make sure that wasn't happen. What they did was saved consensus. They rolled back so that the fork did not happen. And this is multiple times. Every bug that has happened in Bitcoin since has uh, gone about it the same way. The 2013 uh, rollback was the same. And in doing so, it prevented a fork so that consensus was remained secure Consensus remained trustless, and so that the people who were on the "quote unquote" outdated system were not put at risk. They weren't forced to update to some client that they didn't trust. They could still main. They could still one hundred percent validate the Bitcoin system that they were part of, and their money was still valid. And what you see in these other these alternative systems, in like Ethereum or whatever, is essentially the opposite being the trend. Rather than toward more decentralization, more or less trust in uh, you know some central party running things and the attempt to keep it as fully backwards compatible as possible and as broad as the ecosystem can manage as you see this trend, whether slow or incredibly fast or just starts out centralized and never goes anywhere towards centralization, towards more trust. I mean, ethereum is a great example because now they're going proof of stake. and, Proof of stake has never actually worked in practice for distributed consensus on any of these major, major things without checkpoints, without without signed checkpoints. And they even admit like there was like an episode with, um oh, God, what was the show? I don't know, I don't even remember the show. That sucks. I'll I'll see if I can find it again. But uh where they talked about and I listened to it with one of the Ethereum developers, they even specifically said it's like, oh, well, we're. We're specifically making this trade-off for more centralization so that we can have all these great features. Like These features are only features because they're decentralized. You you know, like DeFi is not a feature if it's just (laughs) Fi. You know, like uh, if you build it on a centralized base, what's your arbitrary, what's your regulatory, uh, how are you getting around regulatory anything? How are you, if AWS, if Bezos can shut you down, and make the whole ecosystem scramble to even keep the connection alive what what's the value of paying 50 dollars fees on ethereum to yield farm something that somebody can just cut off just use google like like just just use a centralized service just build it centralized for crying out loud but uh i kind of lost my train of thought there uh but
0: yeah yeah no (laughs) actually one point i wanted to add to what you were just saying is now let's contrast with bitcoin bitcoin just recently went through a, an instance where one of the large states of the world China went and said no no more bitcoin mining and there was a significant portion of the bitcoin network that had to now come offline in terms of mining that is had to come offline and those miners had to shift and what you and I saw and what we saw is that the obviously there was an initial drop in the hash rate obviously as we would expect but that hash rate rose back up very very quickly and so I think that's a genuine and objective example where we can point out here that actually bitcoin is a lot more resilient as a system because it is more decentralized these miners had an incentive to get their equipment out or either sell it to somebody else who can run it and it's it's brutal right mining is a brutally hyper competitive environment and the system remained robust to this kind of shutdown and we could not say the same for altcoins
1: yeah it was actually like really, really amazing. It is kind of incredible how robust the system has become over like, like during this during the last like five, six years or whatever um, against so many different potential problems that had I not specifically been following it, had I just been using Bitcoin regularly, I never would have known. It was arguably like 50 to 60 percent of the fundamental security infrastructure of the Bitcoin network. What other service or system or platform could possibly shut down 50 to 60 percent of the entire infrastructure keeping it running and have zero interruption in service and no fundamental change in how it actually operated and migrated halfway around the world? Like, I mean, it literally, you're talking about massive amounts of hardware that just picked up shop, you know, unplugged and dispersed to like 20 other different countries and found a new spot to plug back in and get back up and running. And there was zero network interruption.
0: Exactly. And, And just for context, listeners, we're talking literally about hundreds of thousands of mining machines here. Right? It's no small feat to achieve that. But, and every person involved had the incentive to do it, right? Because if you're a miner or a mining pool or, you know, you had this incentive to get out there and help make this happen because there was so much money on the line for you to do this. And so I think that is also an important point is that the incentives of Bitcoin are a bit more better aligned for the system to operate into the longer term. And I think that is an important point that people only understand and they only come to understand this once you've done further study, right? You've listened to Guy Swan or you've listened to my podcast, you've done your reading, you've done your homework, you've been discussing, or maybe you go to the Bitcoin meetups and you talk with people and you learn. And that's really what it is. That's actually doing your own research, right? (laughs) Instead of the uh, shitcoiner version uh, of that. Um, And so I think the other thing people might have as a concern, if they're new, they might be thinking, oh, but Guy, um, isn't Bitcoin old technology, right? This is like, obviously <laughs> I'm, I'm just representing the concern, right? It's not, uh, no, yeah, what yeah, would you yeah, say okay, to okay. that kind of concern?
1: Okay. So, um, so is TCP IP. Um, so our traffic light, uh, so is English. How, how often do we update English? Um, it's a communication medium. It's a, it is a protocol. TCP IP really has kind of been unchanged since 1978. I guess I guess probably like the formalized version for the last r- like really significant upget- update was probably 83, 84, something like that. Um, but it's like 40 years old. Isn't it the MySpace of the internet? Y- you know, like, isn't it old technology? The whole point, the whole point of a cryptographic, specifically a cryptographic, but the whole point of a communication medium Add to that a system of cryptography and a game theory and incentive structure to it, which is whole levels of extra complexity and risk involved in doing something wrong. Is the fact that it has lasted for a long period of time and does one job profoundly well and reliably. You know, you don't just, you know, like like side like during the, like the cipher the days of the cypherpunks leading up to Bitcoin. Is uh, there were tons of people who would quote unquote, quote unquote roll their own crypto, and they were considered morons and cranks. They would go on like side Dot Crypt or whatever, and they'd be like, "I've got a new cryptographic algorithm or whatever, and it's super unbreakable." And uh, Andrew Polstra in a treatise on altcoins has a great line: "It's like anybody can create a cryptographic protocol that they can't break. <laughs> like, of course you can if you've got even like a uh, any sort of game theory model. Like y- you you." It's limited to your own ignorance. So if you make something that you can't break, it just means that you don't understand it well enough to break it. Like that, that's the best thing that you can design. Um, and they have an incredibly short lifespan. You, the number one rule in cryptography and cyberpunks is don't roll your own crypto. Don't do it. Use the one that is trusted. Use the one that has survived for 10 years, 12 years, because it has the Lindy effect. We know that it actually works. We know that it reliably does its job. And these things are completely based on that security. Uh, that's where their value is fundamentally comes from. TCPIP does a single job. And it does it incredibly well. It does it better than anything. Uh, it does it more reliably than anything else does. And it is it is that fundamental communication medium that everybody has adopted. Trying to change that, like, quote, unquote, hard forked TCPIP would be a freaking nightmare.
0: That point is correct. Like, don't roll your own crypto, right? And so there are all these aspects that only become apparent once you've done further reading and research. And I think, look, I think the other big one that we get from new coiners and people who are new to the, quote, unquote, crypto world is they say, oh, but Guy... Doesn't Bitcoin use too much energy? I heard there's these other more energy efficient coins. Why don't I use those?
1: Ooh, this is this is a two hour long conversation. Um, <laughs> probably the uh, the easiest way to explain this is that the use of energy to secure the system is the innovation. It is exactly why Bitcoin is a breakthrough. Proof of work is what is fundamentally a breakthrough in a, in creating a system of trust or a system that does not require trust. You can verify its assurances. So it would be like, I, I, I for, for just a simple analogy without really getting into the heart of mining, is the security of Bitcoin is the inability to edit it, is the assurance that you know just how much it costs anyone to try to reverse something that happened in Bitcoin's history. That cost is explicitly defined in the proof of work. That is how you know the thing is secure. That is how you define and measure its integrity. Without it, it has nothing. It's essentially like a force field. It is a a pure energy force field around altering or editing the history of Bitcoin so that you know it only moves forward. To say I've got a system that doesn't use any of this energy is to say that I have a system that is not secure, that has no force field around it, and it is vulnerable to massive, like just a huge a huge subset of problems or it's just highly centralized. And in the context of like proof of stake, so uh, an analogy I like to use is that if Bitcoin and proof of work is a force field around everything and everyone who has money and capital within that force field uh, and economic activity within the Bitcoin ecosystem. Well, then proof of stake is having the, you know, five dudes who have the most money involved, like tied up in it and giving them guns and having them stand around. And... Believing that they're not going to turn the guns on everybody else's money because they can't. And this is explicitly why you see proof of stake almost universally has, as soon as it's big enough to be viable or or to be economically important, they have developer checkpoints. Most of the time they have developer checkpoints from the beginning, which just means that you have a trusted third party deciding what the... What the truth is, which means that why are you decentralized? You're not it doesn't matter if it's like, oh, it's 100 blocks decentralized. And then there's checkpoints. It's like, why Why are you what are you wasting all this time on 100 blocks for? Why don't you just sign Like you're you still just have a centralized party telling you what the truth is. And uh, when you fundamentally the way to think about proof of stake and why I think it isn't real security and what they end up doing is just trying to obscure and hide where the vulnerability is. Is that what you are doing in proof of stake, the reason proof of work works, (laughs) the reason proof of work actually works is because the energy cost and the security is provable outside of the network. What you're trying to do is define the truth of the system's history. So if you use its history to define the history, you're begging the question. Like in proof of stake, what you're doing is you're saying the person who owns the most stake is the one who decides how much stake other people own. Like they're it, like you're it, you're using its history to give proof of its history. And necessarily that means you are you still have the question of, OK, well, what's the valid history to decide who's deciding what the history is? So what you end up doing is just this really convoluted, overly complex mechanism of punishment and separation and uh time delay and all this stuff that routes all the way back around to checkpoints by the developers um and and almost universal i I think there's something fundamentally broken about the concept of proof of stake that if if you're using the history to define what is the valid history the person who i mean we can get into a hundred different ways that this could be attacked but i think it's all just kind of you know details. It's unnecessary details because I think there's just fundamentally something wrong with doing that. If there's no proof, like if if one person doesn't have to go through the force field because they are the ones who define what the force field is, there's no force field. You know, there's no, it's just, it's a lack of security.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was a fantastic explanation because ultimately there are big marketing budgets being thrown to essentially create the fear, uncertainty, and doubt about Bitcoin. And in many cases, it is some of these shitcoin people who are putting money in to get a paid PR piece uh, written up as a news article about why, oh my God, Bitcoin uses too much energy and why we should use their chosen shitcoin, right? And so (laughs) in the case of Ethereum, there is a recent episode as well for listeners. I'll just point out um, with Alex B, where we talk about some of the centralizing factors around that and how as like a as like an intelligent critique of the system it's not just kind of us you know saying yeah it's a shitcoin, although it is but it's more (laughs) actually pointing out why is there a tendency towards that centralization and so i think that's the other thing as well because when somebody is new to quote-unquote crypto and they hear a bitcoin uh person telling them uh just stick to bitcoin oftentimes in their mind they're thinking oh hang on are you guys just are you just shilling your own bags because you hold bitcoin and you want me to you know buy your bitcoin and you know it, it because in their mind it's although it's not in their mind they're thinking oh it's like a ponzi scheme or a pyramid scheme or something and this bitcoin guy just wants me to buy his bags but that's not what's going to make me rich right and i'm i'm assuming a little bit but i think perhaps in the back of their mind that's that might be part of what's going on there
1: i think that's understandable you, you know that's that's a point that is because it's so easy when you just you know walk into this thing to say everybody's shilling their bags and basically everybody is, right? Um, so before you have any foundational understanding of any of this, that's what all of it's going to look like. And to some then there's a there's a grain of truth in all of that, you know. Like I I, I could if I'm if I'm holding Ethereum, I want you to hold Ethereum. If I'm holding Bitcoin, I want you, I have I have an incentive to have you hold Bitcoin. But at the end of the day, you know you could also argue that me telling you to use TCP IP and not buy this other shitty router for $500 from this random company that says they've got the next internet protocol. Sure. Okay. It benefits me if you get on TCP IP because then we communicate, but you know, it's also a really bad idea to buy that other guy's crap. You know, like there's also very fundamental truths and principles that you can unravel about why these things converge and why bitcoin is clearly the most saleable in the entire crypto space and why we're very likely going to end up with one of these things that is meaningfully used in 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 any sense of the word um and uh so sure you know that's a that's at least a valid criticism from a very high level social Discuss nothing else sort of perspective, and it makes perfect sense that that's the perspective when you step into this, you go through the door of Bitcoin and the crypto world, and that's what you see. Just dig deeper, just dig deeper, Um, and you'll see there are very serious fundamental differences. There are incredibly thorough and well laid out critiques uh, in in every possible in every possible avenue. and that's not an arbitrary reason that we say that, you know, like I could just as easily like there's there's a lot of foundation for why the shortcut is the rest of them are all shit coins. You know, no, I don't come at least me <laughs> specifically. I do not come to that decision lightly. You know, I, I did not. It, I, I spent five years trying to figure out if there was something there from Namecoin to the ICO bubble. I desperately wanted to see something else in crypto. And with that, with all the reading, 10,000 hours of reading about all of this stuff, I came to the conclusion that it's 99.9% a waste of time and that it's gonna something's going to have to survive for 10 years for me to stop and take a second look and make me wonder if maybe I'm wrong.
0: Yeah. Uh so look, I think that's probably a good spot to finish up. And listeners, I wanna encourage you, make sure you check out Guy Swan, follow him on Twitter, check out his podcast. He comes highly recommended. If you are new to this space, Guy is a great resource. You can find a lot of excellent material and his explanations, as you've heard, his articulation is excellent. Of the you know, the raison d'etre of Bitcoin. Why are we here? Why is it why does it work the way we you know we explain it? So Guy, tell everyone where can they find you online?
1: Yeah, um I I'm mostly the centralized center of my uh, little internet world is basically Twitter. Uh, uh, I'm at the guy Swan on Twitter, and uh, or at Bitcoin Audible, and uh, yeah, I do two podcasts: Bitcoin Audible and Shitcoin Insider. Shitcoin Insider is just kind of like my guilty pleasure. Like I try to be quote unquote nice to crypto and diplomatic, <laughs> but I do I do have my moments where I just want to go sit down for an hour and a half and rail about how stupid all that shit is. So forgive me if you're a crypto adjacent and shitcoin insider offends you, but I love the show and it's not going anywhere. <laughs> it's it's infrequent, but it's there. Um, but uh, Bitcoin Audible, <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin Audible main idea there. If you if you don't know about the show, is I I read. I mean, I do guys takes and interviews uh, like like this as well. Um, every once in a while, but I just make all of this stuff, all the stuff about Bitcoin. About this space, about the cryptography, about the history of it, about the cypherpunks available in audio. like, yeah, like just like I uh, mentioned at the beginning of this Alan Farrington's piece,, uh, Alan and Big Al have a new one called "Only the Strong Survive." um it's it's absolutely gold. It is exactly on this topic. I even used a couple things from it because I've just it's fresh in my mind. Um, but a uh, brilliant piece is going to be an audio probably towards the end of this week. I might have to break it up. but, it's it's the audible of all the bitcoin shit so um if there's an idea that you want to dig into or a concept that you want to explore BitcoinAudible.com. type it in i probably got a show on it
0: excellent well thank you thank you so much guys. it's been a pleasure chatting with you
1: yeah dude always man good chat man
0: get the show notes and the transcript at slash 306 and make sure you share the show with your friends and family thanks for listening and i'll see you in the citadels